gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Uh, I'm just curious here. I don't know how many people um, that are currently watching this like live in Harlem. Harlem in the house. You know, something like that. Or even just generally speaking, New York City. And I say this with New York because it's just got a kind of different dynamic to how people kick it or whatever. Anyway, you'll understand when I get to it. Hey, man. Are you starting to see more people than usual getting high on the street? And I need you to note, I didn't say smoking weed on the street. I said getting high on the street. Like, one thing about me and my life or whatever it is, um, I don't have a lot of exposure to people using needle drugs. Honestly, I don't really have a lot of exposure to people using drugs that are not weed. Like, seeing that with my own eyes. I've seen somebody use cocaine one time in my life. It was at a stoplight. It was a little weird. Anyway, like, I'm not... As far as I knew, I wasn't really from one of these, like, Heron cities. I'm assuming it's Heron. I don't know. But I wasn't from one of them places, right? And I ain't lived in a sort of situation where you just see people, like, smoking rocks. Man, a couple weeks ago, um, I think I made a run to go get some copies of that Vanity Fair. I saw somebody smoking a rock on Central Park North at, like, 11.45 in the morning. I took like a 10 block walk yesterday. I saw one dude shooting up in two hand to hands. Was it today? Or yes, I think it was yesterday. I saw somebody on the street shooting up. Like, yo, man, it's happening. And I say that kind of particular to New York just because there's like the element of being on the street is just different here than it is in most places. You know what I mean? Um, And so I don't know how many of y'all live in places where you don't really kind of get that sort of intimate acquaintance with what is happening with people who are doing some of the most struggling. It is happening, guys. It is happening. I saw something, um, I think it was the New York Times, says something like 9 out of 10 um, restaurants in New York City are not able to pay the full rent. And I think they think something like two-thirds of them are going to shut down. I can't remember the time interval they gave for them shutting down, but something like two out of three is going to shut down. I'm just letting you know, man, like if you don't think it's real yet, it is. It's possible that you live a life that insulates you from some of that. I'm not judging you for it. I'm just, I mean, I'm, I think that's a pretty accurate statement of fact. But yo, man, it, this is this is where we are. This is what's going on. I feel like y'all need to, because I got to be honest with you, man. Like, I ain't, like, scared of my neighborhood or nothing like that. I ain't that type. But um, I'm not really accustomed to just seeing people with needles just out and around. That's not what's up at all. Like, I got a question specific about Harlem. You know, a whole lot of y'all have been lamenting the fact that white folks 
that have been coming into Harlem. I got news for you. We about to find out how bad they want to be here. Like I told y'all before, we wasn't all gone, right? It's going to be an interesting test of some of this. Pandemic was not in the plan of the gentrifier. Like, that wasn't on the list of things they thought was going to happen. They're like, yo, we're going to show up, and we're going to clear out, you know, the riffraff, and then everything's going to be okay. But they didn't think that the riffraff was going to be hitting these, like, mega hard times as it stands. Like, they thought they had found a hidden gem, and they did. It's going to be a little dusty for a little while, just so you know. Might get a little scratched up. Might have to take it in. But, uh... You know, I, 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 if this thing get to be like super hardcore, you're going to have to look at the white folks and be like, hey, if you wanted bad enough to stick around through all this, I guess I got to call you my neighbor. You know, even if I can't ever go to the little, you know, fucking pottery studio. I have actually have not seen a pottery studio um, in Harlem. I saw one in D.C. I haven't seen a pottery studio, pot, uh, uh, what I call a pottery studio. Like the level of gentrification that I haven't really seen in Harlem yet is all those like kinds of boutique type things. Like you're not overrun by yoga studios yet. Cause I guess it just ain't enough white folks to make that happen or still close enough to like their old like stomping grounds on the upper west side. Um, I don't know. And you ain't gonna put anything to about yoga like a yoga studio, for example. You ain't gonna have the yoga studio set up and think we ain't coming. We we about to be there. Like that pottery thing, same thing. Like if we around, there's enough of there's enough of us that got a little bread. We're gonna be there. Don't you worry. But I have noticed that 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 I feel like that particular level of gentrification has not transpired in the Harlem that I'm like particularly familiar with. The one that still got some black people in it, if nothing else. Anyway, yeah, hopefully I found a way to give you a chuckle about all this misery that's overwhelming our streets. I do what I can. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Wow, this is fascinating. I know what I want to answer a question about. And inexplicable. Oh, there we go. I was like, I it took this long to get to this. Where do we slash should we go from here now that Breonna Taylor's killers got off free? All right. I want to try to be careful in how I talk about this because my immediate thought on this is something that can absolutely sound snide. But I promise you that's not the place that I'm coming from. I'm not at all, like, coming from any position of trying to be bigger or, you know. Yeah, I think you'll get why I'm saying that in this preface by the time I get started saying it. All right. I mean, I, we knew what this was going to be today. At least that's the way that I feel about it. I knew what this was going to be today. Like, you know, nobody wants to be the asshole that's out here like, I mean, I can't believe y'all surprised, right? But... I will speak for myself personally. I was 100% not surprised. And and by the way, not in some like defeatist sort of way. 
but in a very logical, rational sort of way. Like once this goes to, we're going to put it in front of the grand jury. One of the things that I thought was interesting about the Mike Brown case in 2014 was the way that, uh, what's his name, Bob McCullough, uh, the district attorney in uh, St. Louis. One thing that was very interesting was that when they took that to the grand jury, he said, we're just going to present these facts to the grand jury, and then we're going to let them make the decision. And I don't want to pretend like I've been on a grand jury or that I'm like more familiar with the machinations of a grand jury than I am, but I don't feel like, generally speaking, when the prosecutors go to a grand jury, they're just like, hey, could you guys give us some suggestions? I've always gotten the impression that they play to win. They play to win so much that when somebody tell them that they're wrong after the fact, they refuse to admit it, right? But I was supposed to believe that the purpose of going for a grand jury was we're just going to go out here and see what happens, right? Nah, the grand jury winds up, if you don't, if, we're speaking in the conditional tense here, if you're not really that interested in some charges coming down, you go to the grand jury and let him say, well, the grand jury said we didn't have it. What can I tell you? We tried whether or not they're actually trying. Now, in this particular case, you get to the part that I would imagine, like, this is the part that could make you feel the most helpless, which is they could take this to trial if they wanted. They have no chance of winning. And it's not that they would have no chance of winning simply because of some expectation of racism or bigotry amongst the jury pool, but because of the way the laws are written. Like, this thing is set up such that, I mean, and you hear this in the rhetoric that comes from, like, police unions and stuff like this when they get themselves caught in these kinds of situations. They are operating under a fundamental premise that you can't make an omelet without cracking some eggs. Like, in order for them to feel like they can do their jobs, they feel like they need to be able to kill somebody every now and then. Like, it's the breaks of the game. That's the way that they're looking at it. Like, and I've talked about this before, but this is just a concept that people need to find a way to reconcile, which is you hear often from cops and you hear people say, well, if my husband's son, whatever was a cop, I, they'd, I'd feel this way also. But what they'll talk about is what everybody wants from cops. Job number one is to come home safe. And I think that that's a very reasonable uh, goal to have. And I think that's reasonable to decide that, you know, that's your number one priority. You know, I don't think that necessarily makes you a bad person to approach the world that way. But I absolutely do believe that that does not make you a hero. In fact, it is the definition of not being a hero. Like the whole idea and the whole concept of being a hero is rising above that level of frail humanity. And so what we're asked to do at every turn when it comes to the cops is treat them like everyday heroes Except when it comes time to be heroic, we then let them slide for being regular people. Now, normally when we have someone that we have like elevated for whatever reason to a place of believing that person is to be heroic, when they dem them demonstrate themselves to simply be frail human beings, we normally tear them down. That's not what we do with police. In fact, it goes in the other direction in the way we handle with police is that in these moments of frail humanity, and I understand that that's a best case scenario in some of these things. But in these moments of frail humanity, we actually build them up for the fact that they're just humans. And then go back to talking about them like the heroes. You see what I mean? Like you can't put all those things together at one time. 
But anyway, those laws are set up so that in order for them to feel like they can do their jobs, they just got to every now and then kill somebody. Like they're not, nece- not, not necessarily killing them on purpose. It's just going to happen from time to time. Like that's how those laws are written. You go check out the ones in Kentucky on this one. It's basically saying that thing. It, it, they would have a very difficult time based on what the law actually says on getting a conviction. So for me, this was the outcome. Like we didn't really have any other chance. Like this is what the outcome was going to be. You know, um, I felt the same way about the Trayvon Martin case, uh, the, the George Zimmerman trial. By the time they actually got around to treating it like that and going to trial, there, there was no conviction to be had. It just wasn't going to happen. Now, in that one, again, that's a case where I'm not sure they was really like wholeheartedly playing to win. But it wasn't going to happen, you know? And so I see the obvious pain that a lot of people are in is a certain measure of, like, disbelief that some people have. And I, I personally, I can't say this for anybody else, right? I can only talk about this for me. I personally do not ride emotionally with all these cases i honestly quite often don't even read the particulars of these cases and this is kind of a resolution that i started many years ago maybe five years ago because they were all the same like particular circumstances could be different but it was all the same You know, it'd be a little difference here and there, right? But I I realized that I wasn't going to be able to make some grander, larger point by getting emotionally invested in all these cases and, like, engaging in this certain level of public discourse about it. Again, because they were all the same. Like, it, it just reached a point where it became very clear to me that if you were resistant to the idea that something is wrong, it's not because you don't have the information. It's not because somebody hasn't told you. It's not what it is. Like, it's a call that you decided that you were going to make. And so, for my own sanity, I had to back up off it a little bit, man. I had no other choice. Because I wasn't doing anything. Like, for me... I wasn't doing anything personally. And honestly, I didn't feel like I was doing anything for the larger conversation. Like, people don't need me to make sense out of this. Like, I felt like there was really a point, like, between 2012 and 2014 or somewhere around there, where I really felt like things that I was saying on this matter, like, I really felt like I was reaching some people who didn't quite get it. Like, I felt like we were in a place um, where these things were coming out in public ways and kind of in the nascent days of this social media era of sorts. And it was really, like... I was really spreading these ideas to folks who didn't get it. Now, that ain't what's going on now. You get it or you don't, right? It ain't because I'm saying anything about it. Like, you'll notice that basically for the last four years of Trump, I ain't really had anything to say about him because there's nothing, there's no real light I can shed to you. Either you get that or you don't, you know? Like, like, once it gets to a point where I feel like, for me personally, when I feel like all I have to say is something obvious, all I have to say is something that, like, every single one of you can say, then I'm probably not going to do it. There's no need. You know, like I keep the value of this dollar high. You know what I mean? But either way, there's just like, 
for what, right? Go through all this hell, get harassed and all this stuff for what? Not doing it because it's not helping. Like I can get out here and I can say that I said something, but I'm not doing anything to really help. And so, you know, I took like a different approach on it, but I also just had to take a different approach on how I consume the stuff. And so when I got the details of what happened with Breonna Taylor, I knew there was no way in the world those guys were going to jail. You know, and that's its own problem. But like for me personally, if there was any coping that needed to be done, it was done as soon as I read the story because I know what the outcome is. I knew what direction it was going to go in. Seeing this thing happen over and over and over again. I can't get my heart broken by it every time. I just can't. Because the thing that's heartbreaking is a constant. And more importantly, the thing that's heartbroken, let's say that they had put all these charges on these, on these cats in Louisville, and then they ultimately got a conviction for it. We would be out in the streets celebrating. Think about what a low bar that is. Think about what an absurdly low standard that is. And I'm not judging the people who would feel the need to celebrate. I'm speaking to what the overall condition is, that it would be cause for celebration. As somebody who killed the wrong person goes to jail for it. And we're going to be out here dancing behind it. Because that's how hard it is to get a win. So again, I'm not judging the people that are in that place, but I'm just not going to be there. Like, that's literally nothing to celebrate. Because what, like, what in the end is the celebration? We got one? Like, what card do you get for that occasion? Because we got one. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not what it's supposed to be. And so I'm just not, I'm just not there. And I'm not going to be there. And I do think, you know, not that everybody needs to be out here living like me, and I'm not trying to tell you to, divorce yourselves from whatever your feelings are but i do think you need to ask yourself in terms of how you consume these things and just kind of um you know being a person with like mental health needs and stuff like that at what level do you need to consume these things you know, because I think that people get almost to like rooting interest or whatever it is. And all these things come and then, you know, the way they get discussed is that they are reminders of various things. They're like reminders of what it is to be black in America. Reminders of what it is to be a black woman in America. Reminders, you know, so forth and so on. And it gets to be that. But like, I assure you, whoever you are, do you need to be reminded? Like, was there a day that went by and you forgot? Oh, damn, the cops be tripping. Like, I don't think that ever happened. I don't think you've had that day. I don't. And so I just really think this for some people, for your own happiness, especially with all the stuff that's going on in the world, you can be aware of the larger issue. You can be aware of some of the smaller cases, but you can't ride with them. I just don't think that it's possible to sustain that. I just don't. You know, and so if you can pull it off, you got a fortitude in some uh, that's entirely possible that I simply do not possess. But I also think that some people feel kind of guilty about the idea that they're not going to immerse themselves in every single one of these when they come around and they become a big hashtag or whatever it is. Um, but you really don't have to do it. Like I, I, I got, like, I was a little conflicted when I see all the, you know, arrest the cops who killed Breonna Taylor. And I thought that, I mean, certainly it was appropriate, but as it kept going and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going and it kept going, I really was thinking like, yeah, that's something they absolutely should do. But like, y'all don't think that's going to happen, do you? 
And I don't have a great handle on that, right? Like, I don't know how many of you understand just kind of how the grand jury game goes when this shakes out. But I was really just out there. And you don't want to be the person that, you know, like, y'all knew this ain't going to happen. But, like, y'all knew that wasn't going to happen, right? You know, like, and again, I'm not judging you. I'm just kind of, like, you knew, you, you did know it was not going to happen. Because it wasn't. And the problem is that the game is set up for it not to happen. And that one ain't an easy one to fix. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Did Rolling Stone get it right? Naming Marvin Gaye's What's Going On, the greatest album of all time, and ranking Miseducation Lauren Hill over P.E.'s Millions the greatest rap album i don't fucking know man like i saw that they had done the list and you know like i've, I've told you this many times to somebody who's had to work on and make these kinds of lists um it's not the, the most entertaining thing in the world and you're basically just doing this so that people can tell you that you're wrong especially on a list of 500 and it's albums like it's always going to be somebody that pops up to tell you wrong this is what i found fascinating about this though they do these things every so many years right the last time I recall seeing a big Rolling Stone list of the top, where there was 100 or 500 albums of all time, the number one album was Sgt. Pepper's Lonely, Club, Lonely Hearts Nightclub Band. That was number one. In this one, it was 25. The new number one was Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. Another, like, both of those albums have been out for like over 50 for Sgt. Pepper, almost 50 for What's Going On. All right, so nothing has changed here. Nothing has changed. A different set of people you get to ask. Like, it did feel like in going through that list, uh, you should check it out. I mean, you can't check it out. I won't say should. But, like, it had a real Black Lives Matter in 2020 kind of feel with some of the shuffling that we've noticed. Like, it wasn't just, like, the roll call of Beatles albums at the top that has typically been in the pack. That I found to be interesting. Now, I am, I love It Takes a Nation of Millions to hold us back. I think that Miseducation of Lauryn Hill has incredible highs, but is a little bit inconsistent. I saw people on the Twitter arguing about whether or not Miseducation of Lauryn Hill is a rap album. And we can have a discussion about whether or not it is a hip-hop album. Right? I think that leads to some interesting questions. And I would absolutely say that it is a hip-hop album. Is it a rap album? No. It's an album that's got some rapping on it, all right? So, like, Lost Ones is a rap song. Uh, Doo-Wop is a rap song. Then you got some songs that got a verse on them. But it's not a rap album. Like, whatever you think about it, that's fine, but, like, it's not a rap album. And that's fine. That's okay. Like I say, hip-hop becomes a much more compelling question, right? Because you think about something like Everything is Everything. Like, she's singing on it primarily and then drops an incredible verse at the end. But, like, you think about those, you know, that beat. That's, that's a, that's a hip-hop beat. That's a rap beat, but it's not really a rap song. It's an R&B song with a hip-hop feature, kind of, right? Like, I mean, everything gets a little gray at that point. Especially when, people, you know, people started playing around with the drums and started singing over rap beats. You know, there it is. So, yeah, I ain't, I, I ain't out here getting mad at these damn lists no more. I'm just not doing it. It's just not. Nah, man. 
I be maintaining my peace. I don't know what the hell y'all be out here doing. Ooh. You're planning to take the day after election day off, but with all the possibility of tons of mail-in ballots this year and the results might not be available right away, how long are you willing to hide out for? Kyle, I have to say, I had not considered this. This is a fantastic question. My whole plan is fucked. Wow. So for those of you who don't know, like, I don't see no reason to, like, I'll work the day before the election. I might work the day of the election. But I don't really want to have to do no interact with nobody that I don't feel like in the day subsequent. I just don't feel like there's anything good that can come from that. I just don't. So there's going to be a lot of angry people no matter which way it spins. And ain't nothing I can do about it ultimately. But my man is right. If we wind up in a situation where this thing gets dragged out, man, how many sick days I got? You know what I'm saying? Like, how many, how many more vacation days do I have left? Am I willing to put two weeks on it? It's a very, very, very good question. I still feel like the week of off is probably a good idea. Somebody in here talking about it's got to be a blowout. I, I mean... I understand why you would say that. I don't know, though, man. At some point, hey, at some point when a man tell you something over and over and over again, you kind of got to believe that he means it. This is the wildest thing about Trump. This is an apolitical observation, but I'm going to make it. The wildest thing about Trump. I could tell you, oh, no, he means everything he's saying. And I could tell you, I mean, you can't believe nothing he says. And both of those things are true. Like, you understand what I'm saying? Like, and sometimes those things are true while discussing the same thing. Like, it's the most bananas thing in the world, right? The man will tell you, like, man will tell you anything. But he'd be mean in it. So, like, what exactly do you do, right? But the man is telling you that at some point you got to believe what the man says. Like, you can't just, oh, he just gets up there and says anything. Now, I don't think this is one of those, you know? Like, sometimes it's all he just says anything. Sometimes it's like, yo, man, he mean that, right? I think, I, I think right now we leaning more to it. No, man, he mean that. Now, look, you can't get mad at me for saying it because he the one that said it. You understand what I'm saying? Like, I'm just giving you the actual factual here. Sometimes you got to look at it and be like, nah, 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 that one. Nah, he means that. And I would say and act accordingly, but I don't know how you act accordingly to some of the things my man means. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Since you've already put us up on game with the body butters, would you mind improving the brother shower soap game? I'm currently rocking the Dr. Bronner's blue label and always open to stepping things up. And my brother, I don't really have a problem with the idea of being helpful to you in this time. I really don't. However, I need you to understand something. All right. And I don't, 
I don't really know if in, t- in 2020 we have different standards for things that we say than we used to have before. And I hope that I do not sound insensitive in this moment to any person. And I do not believe sincerely that I'm being insensitive to anybody right now. And if I prove to be insensitive in saying this, I encourage you to let me know and I will acknowledge my fault, right? But my man is asking me to improve his shower soap game. And I need you to understand that, like, I am not your girlfriend. Like, when it was time to, like, step the game up for me, it was like a woman who was encouraging me to do this. Like, this is the way that I view this relationship. Now, what I will do, generally speaking, is just to let you know, for example, I didn't give you no recommendation on the butters, but I told you that you need to get on the butters. This is a general notion and idea that you should get on the butters. You see what I mean? You are already on soap. All I could do is tell you what soap to get. What I would say to you as it relates to the soap is you might want to start ordering your soap off the internet and not buying it at the the store. That I can tell you. Like, soap is not a place to try to save the money, right? You should try to do the best you can with your soap. That, like, generality, you see what I mean? That I can, that I can give you. But I can't be out here telling you, like, what soap to get. Because all I'd be telling you is the soap that somebody else told me to get. You feel me? And that's not. I'm not your girlfriend. Now, I need to be clear here. Because I understand, like, the concept of heteronormativity, and I'm certainly contributing to that in what I said right there. I don't know much about the relationships between men in the sense of who steps the others, like, soap and moisturization game up. I don't really know how that goes. I don't know if them cats be, like, both still using... um, Irish Spring. I, I have no idea. I have no idea if one of them comes in is like, no, you got to do better. Or they both show up with the same thing. I and show up with the same sense of it. I really don't know the interpersonal dynamics of these things. I say that with no shade or nothing else. Like, I just don't really understand. So all I can tell this dude is I am not your girlfriend because that is the way that I know that this information transfer typically works. I, I just, I don't have advice for other I don't know how to, I don't know. Appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Without getting into specifics, is it surreal when people you were a, you presumably were a fan of and you were younger take shots at you? I don't even know which one you're talking about right now, but no, not really. Look, man, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I'm past the... It, it takes a lot for me to be like, wow, little old me, look where I am. Man, I've been here for a minute. This feels comfortable as hell to me. This shit happens. 
All right, appreciate the question. Let's see what else we got here. Oh, okay, this is interesting. Do you apply the same hero logic which is solid to soldiers? Soldiers are doing a completely different job. Here's the thing about a soldier. The soldier has an enemy. I don't believe police should have enemies. Like, think about this. You got a security guard at a club, right? I, I don't want them to be looking at everybody on the dance floor as an enemy. You know, those are the people you protect. And then every now and then you got somebody you kind of got to fuck up. But it's not like it's not a room full of enemies. And so the soldier, a soldier is dealing with an enemy. We operate under a premise that, yeah, you got to take out some of the enemy in order to accomplish whatever the job happens to be. Like as a concept, that's totally different. The police are not dealing with enemies. They're dealing with their own citizens. And the problem that we have is that the idea of an adversarial relationship between the police and the people, I mean, it's entirely race-based. And it's not simply the police that have this. But when you see, like, the positioning of these things in public discourse, it is black people on one side, the police on the other. The police are a proxy for white people. In that discussion, when you really think about the way that it, that it goes out, like the police are orchestrating the will of white people. Like, keep in mind, man, the police wouldn't be like this if there wasn't a whole lot of people who didn't like it. Like, they got a base, and it ain't just the base that's on some, hey, they got a really hard job. They're like, nah, man, what's the big deal about, like, none of this. They don't see what the big deal is. Like, they are on Team 5 That's what they're about. That's what they do. You dig? Um, but your own people can't be your, your own people cannot be the enemy. And so what it constitutes to be a hero as a soldier, like, I, yeah, like, obviously you're not going to do anything stupid, like die just for the sake of doing it. But the whole idea is of sacrifice in the name of something larger. And there are going to be times where a soldier is going to be asked to do that. And I think that they're a bit more likely to actually do it than from what I've seen from police officers. Uh, appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Wow. Sorry, guys. This is a lot of questions, so it's taking me a while to go through them. You say you are humble, but where's your humility with our questions? You, all, you all, always come off mad. No, I come off mad when people ask stupid questions. Because I do this like after I've been at work all day, and some of y'all pop up here asking me stupid questions. I'm giving you who I am, and a lot of the people appreciate when I get frustrated by stupid questions. So you, Dior One from YouTube, thank you for providing the stupid question that gives the people what they want. Do not question my humility because your question is stupid. I feel like that's unfair to me and pretty arrogant of you.
Just for future reference, guys, because this is actually making this very difficult. I don't answer sports questions here. Please don't do it because I can't like get to the things that I can actually answer. All right, yeah, this is getting a little overwhelming. Sorry about this. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. Try to do this thing about once a week. My man, Lance Gilliam, handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, if you can't watch The Evening Jones live, uh, check out the podcast. Subscribe to the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out at SoundCloud. We are also at the Google Play Store. And I'll talk to you guys in a little bit. Take it easy.